Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to the uh, the sixth segment from uh, from Claremont to Claremont, episode three. It's actually the final uh, segment that I have in the can, where uh, I'm going to be joined by Jeremiah to discuss X Factor number seventy three. I'm hoping with the holidays out of the way, I'll be able to uh, meet back up with uh, some of the other hosts here to finally finish up episode three. But in the case that I don't get to do that. I have heard from uh, some people, a handful of people, maybe maybe just two or three people, that they would like it if I broke up the previous episodes of From Claremont to Claremont in segment form. I did pose that question either last week or the week before uh, because, you know, just ease of listening. Not having to download a 12-hour file uh, might be uh, intriguing to some folks. So out of the very few replies I got to that question, um, it's an overwhelming yes to do that. So... Might just start doing that uh, in the coming weeks here. It's actually a win-win for me because it allows me almost a day off. And I haven't had one of those in a very, very long time. So (laughs) it's uh, still new to most, and uh, I'll still be able to put content out, but I'll be able to uh, catch up on some other stuff. So if you haven't heard those older uh, segments, then uh, they're new to you. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll look forward to hearing them. Now for this week, uh, of course, Jeremiah and I will be discussing X-Factor 73, and after that, uh, he will be sharing with us his soundtrack of his life. This is one that's been on my hard drive for a very long time. Too long, in fact. And uh, I apologize to Jeremiah for taking so damn long to uh, uploading it and sharing it with everybody here. But I hope you do enjoy it. And uh, if you'd like to reach out, you can do so at uh, Ace Comics on Twitter or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook, 90s X-Men. And you can hear the entire audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's about as much of a pre-ramble as I've got for the moment. So I will send it over to the music, and then uh, Jeremiah and I will discuss X-Factor, number 73, from December 1991. Thank you so much for listening, and I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya. Alrighty, it's X-Factor time. It is X-Factor number 73. Just like everything we're discussing today, it has a December 1991 cover date. I am joined by our good friend Jeremiah, just like every time we do X-Factor. And even though this is only the third episode, it feels like we've been doing this a lot longer than that, doesn't it? It it does feel like that, despite only being three times. <laughs> but yes, it does. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, now, this issue... Uh, we're picking up right where we left off here, and this one's called Crowd Control. Got the same creative team, Peter David, Larry Stroman, Al Milgram, Michael Heisler as the letterer, Glynis Oliver doing the colors, Bob Harris editing, and Thomas DeFalco chiefing. This has a $1 USD price tag, buck twenty-five in Canada, and 65 P's in the UK. Uh, cover date, of course, December, and released, uh, according to Mike's Amazing World, on October 15th. 1991. Now, uh, there's something here that uh, we didn't comment on, but uh, we talked about it a little bit off the air here, and now it's the only thing I can see. Um, The cover here, we have X-Factor just 
being just clobbered by a whole bunch of multiple men here. But there is there's someone missing from the cover. There's a team member missing. And uh, uh, that's going to become a theme of this episode here. And we're going we're gonna to point that out as best we can here. Uh, our man Quicksilver, he, uh, he might just be running really fast. And maybe the, uh, the artist couldn't catch up with him. But uh, he's going to feel like a, almost a non-entity except for a couple of uh, occasions here. But uh, how about you get us right into uh, this uh, very, uh, this, this uh, what is this, a penultimate, a penultimate, penultimate milestone issue here, Thir- 73. True. So when we last let when we last left, their new government mutant team was being introduced to the world when a man in the audience claimed to be the real Jamie Madrox and that the one on stage was a fraud. That's how issue seventy two left off. Um, this one begins with the man driving in a car talking to his wife on a car phone. He's trying to explain he's gonna be home late because of traffic and she's accusing him of infidelity based on a previous experience, it sounds like. After she hangs up on him, he turns down the radio and retreated to a DJ introducing a new Weird Al parody song. The song is from the all-mutant-themed record called Wings on Her Fingers. The song is set to the tune Particle Man by They Might Be Giants and is about Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, featured on the cover. It's a deep cut. It is a deep cut. <laughs> Some of the lyrics that we get to see are, is he a lot or is he alone? <clears throat> super clown or super clone. As we turn the page, two men come flying through the car's windshield. Both of them, Jamie Madrox fighting Jamie Madrox. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's a lot of detail for the opening <laughs> page and the opening splash. But I thought it was a really funny, well-done, Weird Al Yankovic joke. Sure. Peter David doesn't tell us the song Particle Man is by They Might Be Giants. He's making a reference to an indie band that only people listening to college radio at the time are going to get. Second of all, Particle Man is a song Weird Al actually did perform live. Yeah, I went and looked it up to see if he'd ever parodied the song. And all I can find are performances of him doing it live. Wow. <clears throat> Finally, I thought that that song would be a perfect song to do a real Jamie Madrox, the multiple man parody with. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought that joke worked on a lot of levels for, you know, for half a page of page one. Sure. No, absolutely. And it feels like if it works so well, it almost feels out of place for a, a comic of this vintage it, uh, it it definitely doesn't feel like it's speaking to um, the you know the stereotypical you know uh, young t- a preteen or young teen comic fan. It do- it does seem like it's aimed a little bit older. Um, but I thought I think everybody knows who Weird Al is, so I don't think yeah. it would uh, be lost on anybody. But I, this was a, this was a lot of fun for sure. <coughs> Excuse me. So and, and our man here, he must be he must be doing really good to have a car phone. Which, uh, you know, it's funny reading these things today and uh, taking that kind of thing for granted. It's like, oh, he's on the he's on his cell phone with his wife, and then you realize, oh wait, this was like thirty years ago. <laughs> that wasn't really a thing that in that in this sort of a uh, the way it is today. So uh, you know, a car phone was like a sign of uh, like clout back in the day. It was uh, you, know, I, you were I you were a a made human if you had a car phone. 
yeah, you're very right. It's definitely a, a status symbol, a sign of wealth sure. at that time. Um, but it, it never crossed my mind because today it's, I mean, it's ubiquitous today. Ubiquitous, yeah. But but you're right. This guy is obviously somebody who's got to have money if he's got a car phone he can talk to his wife on, you know, while he's in traffic. Sure. So back to the story. The car driver's forced out of the car by the two multiple men, crashed through his windshield. He starts to get it together and he's looking around and he sees tons of multiple men. There's the the guys who are in the X Factor uniform, and then there's the guys in the green suit that was the how the guy in the crowd looked. Mm-hmm. The crowd itself is getting into it, and there's a weird panel with a, with a bunch of uh, bystanders, and they all have video cameras. Um, <laughs> similar they, they to the way we the... all have phones, camera phones today. Sure, but these sure. guys have got, you know, big, you know, JVC video cameras. <laughs> the shoulder stacks, yeah. They're, they're thinking that this is going to be great to send into po- to Bob Saget, which is a joke I wonder if we'd have to explain, but I, I don't think we will. Yeah, uh, true. So then in the next panel, there's a blonde new reporter, reporter, Ariel O'Hare, who is on Mm -hmm. the scene, and she does some exposition to catch the reader up on the events from the last issue. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought this reporter with the name Ariel O'Neill has got to be some kind of reference to um, April. It's not Ariel O'Neill. I've typed something wrong here. But it's got to be a reference to April from Teenage Mutant Tur- Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? I feel like it's like a mixture of uh, April O'Neil and uh, I think one of Peter David's daughters is named Ariel. So I think it's oh. like a uh, a play on both. So I think it's you have uh, Peter David giving a nod to his daughter and also, you know, playing off another famous reporter in, in comics of the day and, okay. and cartoons of the day. So we get the flashback to moments before. This issue started right when the last one ended. X-Factor's on stage being confronted by the Jamie Maddox in the audience, saying he can't believe that a government team of mutants cannot get it together to know they have an imposter on their roster. The Tupo Multiman banter back and forth about who the real Jamie Maddox is, and it quickly escalates into a battle royale of multiple men. Havoc- who'd want to be? Who'd want to be multiple men, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the weirdest character that you'd, I mean, he's got a great power, but he's always looked at, he's not looked at as someone you'd want to be in, in the, uh, in the old mutant hierarchy here. And, uh, this is, uh, this is the scene that, that you pointed out to me a moment ago, Quicksilver, who was on the stage at the end of last issue, ain't here anymore. <laughs> he's yep. not there. So we, we just got to assume that he's running really fast, too fast to be picked up by the pencil. That, that must be it. Havoc tries to get Rain, who's in her wolf form, to try and use her senses to figure out which is the real dude. But she says they're identical. At this point, the team liaison Val, the pretty blonde, is freaking out about the press conference and the way it's gone. It's turned into a battle scene. And Havoc gets annoyed that her main concern is how they're going to spin this. This is just another great bit of uh, characterization here with uh, by Peter David here. Val is coming across very, very annoying and uh, purposely so. It, it's I love the fact that she's fretting more about you know the public relations aspects about this rather than the actual gravity of the situation because 
I feel like X Factor being a, a government agency, uh, or, or at least an arm of, of a government agency, and having Val worry about public image really differentiates this team from the other mutant teams who, uh, you know, they don't worry about PR. They're just they're just a team, you know. Here, this is a team, and it's also a a governmental endeavor, and it's also kind of a business. It's it really differentiates it. It pulls X Factor. It makes X Factor unique. It, yeah, I, I agree with that, and. Uh, someone in that role, even in real life, would be worrying about the exact same thing. They they would d- most mm-hmm. certainly be worrying about appearances, especially yep. at a press conference where you're introducing somebody. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right about that. So the battle <clears throat> the battle escalates and spreads out all across downtown DC apparently, because one of the multiple men has followed another Jamie into the Smithsonian Museum of American History. One of the multiple men is hiding behind a crate with a Kermit the Frog puppet on his hand. (laughs) Kermit asks the multiple man who's looking around for the guy he was chasing if he can help him with something. And his response to that is that he's a little lost. Kermit responds to the question, have you tried Harry Krishna? And then cold cocks him. Now for me... (laughs) This was the best joke slash reference in the issue. One of the many great running gags from the first Muppet movie is that when anyone says they're lost, someone, usually one of the um, famous actors, actresses, or entertainers that's making a cameo in the movie, asks them if they've tried Harry Krishna. <clears throat> I love the movie, and I, it's one of the best jokes in the movie. <clears throat> That, I totally I, that that one went right over my head. I've never seen it, but uh, now it makes perfect sense. I just thought, like, why is there a Kermit the Frog there, and why is he talking about Harry Krishna? It <laughs> seemed very, very bizarre. I just thought maybe Larry Stroman like figured I like drawing Kermit. <laughs> maybe I could put Kermit in here. So yes, that that makes total sense now. <laughs> so the other thing that's interesting, he's, he, I mean, he does say Harry Krishna, and this comic is from the nineties. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know about you. I don't know much about the Harry Krishnas other than what I looked up, that they were founded in 1965 in New York. It's a branch of Hinduism. But what Mm -hmm. I know them for is what they were lampooned for in popular culture in the 70s and 80s as being dressed in orange robes with shaved heads, asking for money at the airport and the subway. That's what I think of. And I think that's what part of the joke is in, in the Muppet movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, because that's, that's all. I, I couldn't tell you uh, like a legitimate thing about what, what Hare Krishna is, what their, what their tenets are, anything like that. All I know them from is, you know, is the jokes and the, yeah. uh, the, the parody. So that's, that, that is, that, I, and I, I've never seen the Muppet movie, so I don't know <laughs> if, how they run it there. So we cut back to the team and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they come up with the plan to try and knock unconscious all of the multiples, theorizing that once they're unconscious, they'll disappear or be reabsorbed, whatever it is that happens to the multiples when they go away. And that's how they'll try and determine which is the, the real Jamie. And we get Quicksilver making one of his very, very few appearances in the book right here. And, uh, 
And, you know, Havoc is saying we need to knock these guys out. And Quicksilver's like, does that mean we get to knock out all the Jamies? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, boy, <laughs> let's do it. He got very, very excited about KOing all the Jamies. I, I thought that was pretty cute. It was. Strong guy also gets to work. He he knocks out a bunch of guys. <clears throat> and the two, this is one of the things I didn't understand. The two multiple men that are the two originals have now moved from the Museum of Natural History or American History to the Air and Space Museum. Yeah. How that happened, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if we're just meant to think it's all one place, but they are two different places. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> their brawl, they eventually knock each other onto one of the planes hanging from the ceiling, which breaks loose and ends up flying out of the building. And there was a uh, there was an enterprise there too. I don't know if we have one of those in the uh, in the in the uh, the Air and Space Museum. Is there a a Starship Enterprise there in DC? I believe I there know. is. There is a fair oh, amount okay. of science fiction stuff there. I okay, mean, it may cool. not, maybe it's a rotating exhibit, but yeah. Mm. <clears throat> okay, cool. Now, now during the uh, fracas here, one of the uh, plain clothes Jamies he gets mistaken for the Rocketeer. And uh, now, right around this time, a movie adaptation of Dave Stevens' The Rocketeer was released by Disney. This was in June, uh, June 21st, 1991. So just a few months before this, and it starred Bill Campbell. Unfortunately, not to be confused with Billy Campbell from Melrose Place, one of my <laughs> very favorite shows. Um, they said that they, missed, they they thought that this Jamie was him because of the haircut. And it is worth noting that Campbell's Rocketeer-era hairstyle does look a fair bit like Jamie's. Kind of just like pointy and swept over to the side i'm glad you pointed that out because i i i caught the rocketeer references i didn't realize the movie came out around the same time yeah yeah it was uh i i until i actually looked it up i could have figured it's like eh, it was early 90s i didn't know it was right here <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yep it was uh right in the uh right in the milieu of this issue might have been like coming that. out on video around that time <laughs> That, I, I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I actually went. I, I happened to catch it on cable a couple mm. weeks ago, and it it held up well. It, it's a well done movie. I've never read too many Rocketeer comics. No, no. I, I think I have a few that I've that I've you know just come across in in various bins and stuff. But uh, yeah, I never I never saw the movie. Um, I couldn't tell you a thing one about the Rocketeer. It's a uh, that was one of those that was a uh, a on a, on the list of books to cover uh, on on a future treadmill was a that the Rocketeer was there because we did get it uh, requested uh, a couple of times but just never got around to it. That's cool. So the team's taking care of all the duplicates, with the exception of the two that were in the museum are now outside, crashed into the bushes. As the team finds them, so do the gaggle of reporters that have been covering this and Ariel O'Hare's still live on the scene, commenting on what she's seen. She keeps all the reporters keep saying the word mutant and strong guy suddenly goes off on a long rant about how they've turned mutant into a racial slur. And he ends his diatribe saying he would prefer they be called genetically challenged or GCs. Yeah. Uh, GCs. Okay, and this will come back to haunt him later on, but I yeah. can't help but wonder if this is 
Peter David commenting a, a, a bit on the politically correct ideology, I suppose, for lack of a better word, that was gaining, I don't know, traction in the 90s. Steam, yeah. Yeah. No, almost definitely, almost definitely. And uh, I got to admit, when I when I first started reading this bit here, I kind of groaned. I'm like, oh, no, we're not doing this, are we? <laughs> Guido's, he's going off, like, really, really hard here. But uh, the payoff, which I took to be sort of like poking fun at the emerging PC culture, uh, wound up being worth it here. Because, I mean, even Guido talks about how GCs is is silly. You know, yeah. the, the, the whole, he basically was saying... He was going off on the reporters basically to almost in a way help Val spin the story, you know, a little bit. It's like, okay, we're not, we're no longer talking about the multiple men uh, melee. Now we're talking about what's the proper thing to call a mutant. So it it was, it was smart. It was very smartly done. And, uh, and and I I thought it was pretty funny at the end of the day. I, I agree. I had the same exact reaction that I thought. Wow, this is going to be awfully heavy-handed the way it started, and then it yes, <laughs> the way he wraps it up, it's like okay, he is he he, he is making a there, there is a joke it. here, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we get our first cutaway to the mysterious gray-haired scientist we've seen in previous issues. This time, he's building a giant suit of mech armor. He's built the suit too small and refers to himself as Professor Vic Chalker. That's all we get. Um, We cut right back to the X-Factor team in Strong Guy's mansion where the two Jamie Madrox are in complete confinement so they can't hit something to produce multiples. Um, I mean, there's no real segue there, I guess, but it's a little bit more of who this Vic Chalker is, I suppose. Yeah, we get a little bit. It's uh, I think this is the first time he's actually named. So yeah. I, I know we looked we looked up his name last time, but this time is the first time he's actually proclaiming his identity. Yeah. So Alex and the team question the two multiple men, and the explanation from the Jamie that was in the audience. So this is the one who's been drawn in the green suit throughout the issue, is that he left Muir Island because he wanted to live a normal life. He left behind a multiple because he didn't want to have to deal with Moira McTaggart. And then he tries to convince the X-Factor team that Jamie, the, their Jamie, can't be the real Jamie because the real Jamie would never join a team like X-Factor. The other Jamie, the, the X, quote X-Factor Jamie, just can't believe that the team might be buying this. Very, very weird. Um, the way... I, I know this was probably meant to be, um, it was meant to be confusing and it was, um, I, I, I like how <laughs> Jamie's like, I, I wouldn't join a team like this. It's like, dude, you were part of the fallen angels. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least this, this, this group has an X in the name. Um, yeah, very confusing. Um, and you know, I tell you, it's been so long since I read these. I, I don't know how it's going to... I forgot how it works out. Um, I know that it will be worked out before we get to the like the big crossover coming up. But, uh, but yeah, it's very, very strange. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Peter David writes himself out of this one. Yeah. To me, it almost felt like one of the, you know, the old Looney Tunes cartoon where... Bugs Bunny dresses up to look like Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd can't mm. 
decide who to shoot, Daffy Duck or Bugs Bunny dressed up as Daffy Duck. That you know, was that kind of joke there. But yeah. you can also see that there's a there's a real stress on these Jamies that being caused by this because we had the whole mm-hmm. thing in the last issue where Jamie was questioning, well, what are the multiples? What are why can't he reabsorb this dead one? So yeah. they're they're really He's really examined that what it means to be multiple man here. For sure. For sure. hundred percent. As the, so the team leaves the, leave the two multiples in their confinement and they're, they're talking amongst themselves and somebody says they wish they had a telepath. And Alex rather strongly suggests that they don't need a telepath. They just need a lie detector. So Val says, well, she can get one of the best. And there's this, what I thought was an awkward moment where she says she can get this lie detector from somebody who owes her two favors and question and Quicksilver questions. Well, what are these favors? And she says, marrying some guy and then divorcing him. <laughs> <coughs> and then the issue wraps with the final page with the other mysterious villain we've seen watching everything unfold on a series of monitors. And he's telling the reader that his plan's moving along. He's taking quick care of Quicksilver, whose powers are killing him. He's now taking care of Jamie Madrox. So what's next? And we get a, a look of the, the preview, and it looks like it's going to be Strong Guy. Yep. So we have our shadowy uh, bad guy here. We don't know who he is just yet. And uh, this is the uh, this is the guy pulling the strings uh, for this uh, for this era. So we'll find that out pretty soon um and i think you have a pretty good idea of who it might just be (laughs) so yeah i thought this was a good issue i thought it was one of the funniest ones mostly because i I think i got the jokes um (laughs) but peter david really seems to be getting his legs under him with the characters and the pacing of the story um i mean there's there's good action there's funny stuff there's character development um and not too much of any one of those things. The, the story moves at a good pace. Um, it, it, I, I liked it. Oh, it was really, really good. Yeah, it's a very solid issue. Very funny issue. Um, all, like almost every page had some sort of a, a sarcastic comment or a gag on it. It was, it was, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't like like a current day sort of snark. It was more like a observational like. Like something you, very relatable, uh, sort of humor, and uh, that's you know that's Peter one of Peter David's strengths for for sure. And it it I mean yeah there's there's a lot of quips in those things, but it doesn't yeah. feel like it's a it's not a joke for the sake of making a joke. Like it just kind of feels natural in terms mm-hmm. of the dialogue or the events, and so it just feels like yeah that's that's a guy who talks like that. That's what he would say, kind of thing. For sure, for sure. So I'd like to ta- take a guess at who the <laughs> villain might be. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't have to tell me if I'm right or not. We don't have to spoil anything. Um, but I have a feeling it might be Mr. Sinister. I haven't read a lot of comics with him, but I know he's he's tightly connected to the Summers Brothers storyline in X-Men. And this the the way this villain is messing with the team in such a covert way feels mm. like something he could pull off from what i know about the character 
Hmm. <laughs> so we can just put a pin in that for now, and we'll see what happens in coming up. But the, sure, that, we, we do have that milestone my, issue coming up. Okay, I'm just putting my stake in the ground. I'm guessing it's going to be Mister Sinister, and I haven't looked ahead. This is honestly just a guess. <laughs> so I still like Strowman's art. I mean, there's a lot mm. of great pics of Lorna in here, where her hair is just wild and all over the place that oh, you know yeah. sometimes maybe it would be like that's just ridiculous but it looks good i like it does um, milgram's inks um mm-hmm. i think the two of them make a good team the, the the places where he's got heavy inks and a lot of shadowing it looks cool and it, the there's an angulary nature of the the, the art that i think is neat mm-hmm. it, i dig it still Oh yeah, it's just another one of those things that that really sets X Factor out of the pack of the other X books of the day. Um, and I and I've said this before, I hated this growing up. I hated Strowman's art as a kid, but uh, looking back on it now, it it feel it has more of a timelessness than the you know the image co-founder look that the rest of the line is experiencing at this point. Uh, the Strowman stuff it still looks as fresh today as it did then, where I mean, Jim Lee, love him. He's talented as, as all get out, but there is a little bit of like a staleness because it feels very of its time. Um, mm-hmm. And even when he does stuff today, it feels like almost an, an was an anachronism, anachronistic, or however you say that. If it, it, it's like uh, it feels like it's something out of a bygone era, where. Strowman could put something out that looks exactly like this now, and I don't think I would place it as an early 90s comic. It would just be, you know, something good. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the the inks and the uh, pencils definitely did complement one another. Um, something we did talk about off the air here about Strowman's art is he seems to have a very particular uh, reference uh, points. It feels like the, peop- the bystanders in his comics they all they all seem to like be somebody like they're almost too detailed or like are caricaturized where they almost have to be someone from his personal life someone he knows right it it does feel that way because they're not simple crowd shots i mean the, yeah. the, the couple times that are in here that i mean they're they're half panel pages yeah and you know <laughs> they look it, it's the kind of picture you would see them like Oh, is there is there a reference there? Is that supposed to be somebody? And it, yeah. they're too detailed, too well, like you said, character motives. They are yeah. very distinct looking. Um, but yeah, it feels like are these the people he went to high school with? That kind of thing. Yeah, probably. You know, are, are they, is, is it the family that lives upstairs in the apartment? Something. It feels like something like that. His in-laws, yeah, something like that for yeah. sure. <laughs> So, I mean, to recap the rest of the stuff, there's not a lot of new ads in this one that we haven't discussed before. It's video game sports cards, you know, the comic stores and T-shirts. The one thing I would like to throw out there is the first ad, the inside covers for Smash TV, the game for Nintendo. I never played the game when I was a kid. I've played it Mm -hmm. now on, you know, like arcade classics and things like that. Sure. Vic Sage, our Superblog mm. team-up buddy, 
on his diary for an art of an arcade employee podcast. He just did this game smash TV in season two. Oh, okay. And it was, it was a really good episode. I liked that podcast, but it was neat to see the ad sure. after just listening to this. <clears throat> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I don't think I ever played. I think I played it like in an arcade growing up. And it, it seemed like one of those games, um, like the arcade style games, never felt like something I'd spend 50 bucks on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when it's like just one screen kind of, and you're like, all you're doing is clearing out a screen, then you go to another screen instead of like a, and I mean, it's it's silly, but like a side-scrolling level is different to me, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it feels like there's more to it, or a role-playing yep. game or something. Um, so yeah, Smash TV was something I probably like rented a few times, but, uh, I don't, I don't remember if I was any good at it. Probably not. I'm not very good at games, but, uh, uh I'm not either. And the, the couple times I have played this, I'm, I'm not good at it. So, <laughs> uh, I did look at the letters page and they're, mm-hmm. they're finally talking about, um, Peter David because yep. these letters are all issue 70 and that's his first issue, right? Was the wrap up yeah. of that storyline in mm-hmm. issue 70. You got it. Yeah, this is uh, this is like all the fallout of the Muir Island saga with uh, Professor X and the original five coming back to the actual X-Men. It, it was a really good issue, a really, really good issue. Um, if there was ever a zero issue, uh, a zero episode of this show, that would probably be the issue we discussed because that is really where everything comes back together. Um, that's kind of like the like the bottleneck for all the X books, you know, new mutants turned into X force X factor turned into this new X factor and uncanny split into the two teams. That was the bottleneck uh, X factor mm-hmm. number 70, where it just, everything came together just so it could all pop right out. So really good issue, really good issue. And it was funny too. And a lot, and the, the letters are all positive and they, you know, they, they talk about the humor, they talk about mm-hmm. the things he did. So, I'm expecting that when we get to the next one and they're writing about issue 71, that yeah, it should we'll go be deep into the that. same things yeah. that people like the humor. They like what he's brought to the characters, which is yeah. kind of the same way we feel, right? For sure. For sure. And I am, I am very interested to see uh, how folks took to the new team because I, I haven't read the letters pages of these things in, in God, like 30 years now. So uh, I wonder how, you know, the, the tenured Marvel fan or the tenured X fan back in 1991 took to, you know, the, the original five no longer being the stars of the book and instead having, you know, havoc in the gang. I think that could be very interesting to see how, uh, how folks reacted to that. And I, I honestly don't remember, um, what the, what the fan on the street thought. Uh, all we have is really the hindsight and just the appreciation of the Peter David take on, mm-hmm. on this team rather than, you know, the initial visceral reaction to, wait, where are all my characters gone? You know, who are these guys? Why do I want to follow, you know, Rain Sinclair? Yeah. But uh, that'll be that'll be an interesting letters page to work through. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, heck of an issue. This was a heck of an issue. And I, I like yeah. everything you said about how, uh, it, like, the ta- we finally, it's only been two issues. But, I mean, the table's been set. So we know all of our characters. We know our cast. And now... Uh, this feels like Peter David can do, he can move forward. You know, yeah. we're done with the introductions for now. It's like, okay, the, the, the pieces are on the board. Now let's start playing with them. So yep. really well done. Uh, liked it. Uh, liked it a lot. And uh, definitely looking forward to more. 
Yeah, me too. He 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 definitely opens it up here. <clears throat> you know, takes it out on the road a little bit is what kind of how it yeah. feels. Um, yeah, sure. so yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Awesome, awesome. Now we got to hop to the hook of the segment <laughs> here. Uh, now this is just one of those weird ideas I probably had in the shower or in the middle of the night. I woke up in a cold sweat, thinking like, "Oh, this is something we got to do." Uh, this is an idea to kind of uh, expand on on what we did last month. And uh, this is probably the third or fourth time you're hearing me explain this situation, but uh, here we are. Um, We're doing the soundtrack of our lives here. So basically songs that you can maybe pinpoint a moment in your life or a lyric from a song that describes an emotion or an experience or just something that resonates with you. This is just a, a silly way uh, and it's a fun exercise, but it is a silly way to maybe learn a little bit more about one another here and uh, maybe just to give you something a little bit more than just a, a bunch of guys talking about the X-Men. So how about you uh, kick us off with the first song that would be on the soundtrack of your life? Okay, so I should note that I did this in chronological order, okay? Oh, that, yeah, I think I think so far everyone has. So yeah, it's okay. good. So the first one on my list is Neil Diamond's America. Okay. All right. An old friend I worked with once told me, it said, deep down, we're all diamond heads. And I, <laughs> I, I have a tendency to think he was right. I've never met anyone so. who didn't like at least one Neil Diamond song. I mean, if Sweet Caroline comes on, who's not singing it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I personally learned to like Neil Diamond when I was real young, not into music yet. And our dad would listen to Neil Diamond quite a bit. Um, he, he, you know, he'd play the tapes in the car when he'd pick us up on Friday night and play, you know, be in the car when we went home on Sunday and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the America album was one of those tapes. And it was one of my favorite of the albums we listened to. And of course, the title track, America. I mean, it's one of his classics, but oh, for sure, it's 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 one of my favorites too. And I actually got to see Neil Diamond when he played at Fenway Park a couple years ago. No kidding. Yeah, it was an amazing show. And I, when I I wrote that I sang along with every song, but it was more like I screamed along <laughs> with every song. <laughs> it was just such, and and everybody there was doing everybody was. Awesome. But it was it was a it was a you know it's a summer night we're outside on the field at Fenway, Neil Diamond's up there doing his greatest hits, and the crowd was the crowd was wonderful, and it it was just a great night. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was and you know to <clears throat> to grow up listening to him and then seeing I I was probably mid thirties and we was my wife and I and another couple who also liked Neil Diamond quite a bit. And we just had a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Now so, America is a, is a wonderful song. Yeah. I mean, I, I would defy anyone to at least not feel, how, how could you not feel good after hearing it? No matter what the subject matter is, no matter how you feel about mm-hmm. any of it, it's just a good catchy tune that oh, kind of lifts you up a little, you know. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so number two on my list is Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Wish you were here. And okay. I first discovered Pink Floyd when one of my cousins um, 
came to visit and he had the tape of the wish you were here album put it in the tape deck and i was instantly in love <laughs> shine on you crazy diamond have a cigar wish you were here and for when it comes to pink floyd for me it doesn't it it's hard to get better than that album mm-hmm. and they were a real gateway for me into well, even for me, it was classic rock at the time, and especially prog sure. rock. I mean, I got mm-hmm. into Yes, I got into Jethro Tull in a big time, but I mean, I also listened to Zeppelin and The Who, um, but all of that was because of that tape of that album and that song um, mm-hmm. that my cousin first played for me. Oh, it's awesome. Um, number three, Iron Maiden, Phantom of the Opera. Now, <clears throat> this isn't necessarily my favorite Iron Maiden song, but mm-hmm. it's one that maybe has a, a lot of significance for me. When I was in middle school, yeah. there was a guy in my class whose grandmother, and I'm, I'm positive it was his grandmother, worked at a local division of Capitol Records, and he, she could get him tapes wicked cheap. Um mm. He was into Iron Maiden, and he played it for me, and he got me a copy of Killers and Peace of Mind. And I, I, think, I think it was 50 cents a tape. It was I couldn't have cost wow. me a buck or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's middle school. It probably was eighth grade. I'm just coming into my teenage years, and the the loudness and the speed – of that music, it was just such a sound that it, it really kind of hit me at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I, I became, I wouldn't say I was a, a you know, a metal head or anything, but it's really all I listened to up until probably my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, the live after death album was one I picked up when it came out. Um, and it, that's just a fantastic album. Phantom of the opera was my favorite song off it still is. Um, but through them, I got into, you know, Judas Priest, Anthrax, Metallica, Kiss, a lot of those greats. Um, but I never, I never did have the the back patch on my jean jacket though. (laughs) (laughs) I had some pins and things like that, but never, never had a back patch. There you go. (laughs) Um, number four on the list is, uh, Mighty Mighty Boston 737. And, um, when I got to college, um, I was probably what people would consider a typical white guy. Um, I longish hair, loved heavy metal, classic rock. The posters on my wall were, you know, Gene Simmons, Jimmy Page, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was, I don't know. It just felt like all my, that's my, all my friends, how all my friends were. It's how I was. But when I got to college, you start to get exposed to new things. Right. Mm. And one of those new things was the mighty, mighty Boston's roommate of mine lent me their first two albums, Mm. uh, devil's night out more noise and other disturbances. And just like with, with wish you were here, I was in love with it from go. I listened to those two CDs nonstop for two days, just on repeat. You know, I would listen to it five or six times, put the other one in, listen to that five or six times nonstop. So I got into the Boston's through this guy. 
I got my brother and his friends into the Boston's. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've all been fans, and we go to the concerts together. Very uh, cool. We do the oh, hometown- you do the Christmas one, right? Yep, the hometown throwdown at Christmas. Um, we've been to that now six or seven years ago in all the shows. I, I, oh, I've wow. seen them probably 30 to 40 times. My brother and his friends, I think, have seen them more than that. Oh, uh, wow. And 737, it's one of those songs. It's one of my favorites. It's an anthem of theirs. It's the kind of song I wish they played at every show. It's a song about their fans. Um, and it's, it, they mean a lot to me. For awesome. sure. Awesome. <clears throat> I've I've got a I've got a Boston song on my list too that uh, that, that people will hear in like forty seven hours when the show ends. So nice. <laughs> I, I, I'm interested to see what song is on your list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the last song on my list is from a band called Sugar, and the song is Changes. And <clears throat> it was the same roommate who got me into the Boston's, got me into Sugar. It wasn't at the same time, but um, and. Sugar was a power trio fronted by Bob Mould, who was the one of the three guys in Husker Du, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a hardcore band from the, I guess, the, the 80s and before they broke up. But they were influential in the, the do-it-yourself movement and came out of Minnesota. Okay. Anyway, so I got into this band Sugar. And they weren't around for a long time. They they I think it was three or four years. They had um, three albums and an EP. Excuse me, an EP. Um, but they were really important to me. The songs on that first album. They it, again, it's the right point in my life to to hear the the lyrics and that music. Um, and it was there was a balance between angst and heartbreak that mm-hmm. just kind of hit a lonely dude in college like me the the right way sure and sure since then i've gotten into who's do and bob Mould's solo work i've seen him a couple times on tour with his band and when he's by himself but um the 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 when he the it's the records from sugar that just uh really important to me and the joke i have about them is they're the most awesome band that no one i know has ever heard of I never heard of them. <laughs> so I can put you right on that list. I'm on that list. <laughs> I'm a statistic. <laughs> so, very, yeah, very I think cool. that, I mean, that covers me well into my, you know, young adulthood. And I can always look at back at those particular songs and albums as touchstones to like sure. you know, the, the different music I got into over my life, but also particular times in my life uh, oh absolutely so. no, that's, and that's I'm, awesome stuff i'm dying to hear what the other guys say because I, I remember in the in our last episode two or three guys all talked about kiss and i'm like oh it, so it, it's going to be cool to see what they all have to say too i can tell you that we have at least one kiss song on somebody's uh <laughs> somebody's soundtrack of their life here um <laughs> And I figure, like, uh, maybe when this episode is done, I can throw together, like, a whole bunch of, uh, like, Spotify playlists so we can each have uh, a uh, soundtrack of our lives here that um, throw up on the website. Maybe people listen to, you ah. know, the, the, the soundtrack to Jeremiah's life. And uh, that That's a great idea because, I mean, it yeah. would be cool to see just the, just the progression of songs that people would pick alone would be interesting. Oh, yeah. 
So that, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think, uh, yeah. I think folks who, uh, who want the, uh, to do the extra credit on for, uh, from Claremont to Claremont will, will <laughs> live through our, uh, our soundtracks and, uh, and be able to, uh, and maybe become a little bit closer to us and, uh, and all that creepy stuff. But, uh, I think that's all we've got for this month's X Factor. I want to thank Jeremiah for hanging out again, even though it's been very, very delayed because of me. But uh, we got it done. It's in the can. And uh, we will hopefully be back with X Factor 74 before, hopefully not as long as it took to get 73. But uh, (laughs) thank you for uh, hanging out, Jeremiah. And thank you for your patience. Thank you for having uh, me. It's been still fun. Certainly, certainly. And, uh, I'll send it to a silly clip and then over to X Force. No place to run, no place to run. The mutant age has now begun. X-Men!